0: to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas and welcome back to Making the Argument. Today, we're going to be discussing the Fauci emails. But more than that, we're going to be discussing how do you properly process what the Fauci emails reveal, what they don't reveal, and how do you actually have an effective conversation with someone, an effective discussion about this whole debate? Because there is so much more at stake here than just whether or not COVID policy was handled effectively. There is so much more at stake here than just this question of whether or not, you know, Fauci got it wrong at certain points. It was not being completely honest with the American people, right? That, that, is, that is certainly important, but there's a, there's a larger, there's a more fundamental aspect to this that I want us to get to the bottom of because what that's going to do is help us have productive conversations with people. That's what making the argument is about. It's about equipping you to be able to discuss this in a way that allows you to share your perspective, understand other perspectives, and hopefully arrive at the truth of something. And and here's the fundamental truth that we need to be taking away from not just what the the Fauci emails have uh, revealed to us, but the way that organizations like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, how did they handle the distribution of information? And, and there's a lot of arguments with, with you know, 230 on, on are they acting as a publisher, are they acting as a platform? I, there's a lot of good arguments to be made that they acted like a publisher, or they have been acting like a publisher on a whole host of issues from politics to the science behind COVID. But I, I want to get into something deeper here, because when the Fauci emails came out, there was a, a lot of good commentary on this. Um, not a lot of good commentary coming out of CNN and MSNBC. They essentially wanted to completely glaze over some of the real problems with respect to information that Fauci had at, at various times, things that he was saying in emails versus what he was saying to the public. And... You know, again, a, a lot of the mainstream media wanna chalk that up to, well, he was going off of the best information he had at the time, or he was trying to control public perception in a way that he thought was ultimately beneficial, even if he wasn't saying everything that he knew right up front, right? Okay, great, those are all, those are all arguments, we can get to that. But what I really wanna get to is <clears throat> this idea of, what do we mean when we say follow the science? Because th- there's experimental science, right? That's where we think of like the scientific method. It's the idea of testing things within a lab, right? The I identify a question, conduct research, form a hypothesis, conduct tests, uh, form a conclusion, share your results, right? That, that's the basic structure of the scientific method, right? Then you have things like the laws of logic, right? The law of identity, the law of the excluded middle, the law of non-contradiction, the concept of rational inference, right? And these are various tools that we use to get to the truth. And here's what we, we generally accept about this or we should accept. And that is the idea that as more evidence becomes available, you tend to modify the conclusions that you come to provided that that evidence actually justifies modification of, of your conclusion, right? But we understand that it's an ongoing process, especially when we're talking about something like COVID where we really didn't know how this was gonna behave. There was a lot of you know, dire predictions about what it could potentially do. And as more information became available, the question is, Is did we effectively modify our policy and our own individual behavior, or did we go along with a certain narrative? And so the, the number one thing I want you to do whenever this issue comes up, because right now, we're all in our respective camps, right? It's gotten very, very tribal, and there's you, you even see this on Twitter, right? And both the right and the left do it, where... You have some people on Twitter saying, Well, I'm gonna to continue to wear my mask because I don't want people to think I'm a conservative. Right. And then you have other, you know, tweets or memes or around where it's a joke where someone says, you know, I, I accidentally forgot to or take off my mask when I got in my car and I was all alone. And now people thought I voted for Vi- Biden. Right. And and again, that's all funny, but by the same token, it also it also gives this impression that now we're making decisions based off of tribal understandings of data, as opposed to actually digging in and looking at real science and looking at that process. And and there's a certain element there where where we do have to have a little bit of sympathy for the fact that when we are making decisions, we're making decisions based off of the information that we have at the time. And and I think people should be forgiven if they really thought they, they were earnestly seeking out good data. They were coming to logical conclusions, and it just turns out later that, well, no, there was some other data, there were some other perspectives or understandings that we didn't have. And so now we're modifying our behavior from what we did previously, right? That's all acceptable. And I think that there should be a little bit of grace involved for that. The problem that I think a lot of us have with what happened during COVID is that as new information became available, there was this, it had gotten so politicized that. To modify one's behavior based off of incoming data was problematic because it almost was like a betrayal of your tribe in order to do that, right and we should not fall into that trap by the same token, we saw this 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 um, coordination, you could even argue collusion between certain government entities that were not only following the science, but they had certain biases that I don't believe that they were properly accounting for. And then you had social media institutions, again, and, and you had Silicon Valley, that were now colluding with the government in order to suppress some information and push out other information. And there was this, there was this backlash, right, among, largely among conservatives saying, well, wait a second, suppressing, suppressing information, suppressing certain voices that you don't like, is, is, how you, is how you account for things that we look at in history where authoritarian regimes or when people started behaving in such a way that was harmful to society in general. And when we go back and we look at it, we're like, my gosh, how could smart people in Germany ever buy what the Nazis were selling, right? How could smart people in Italy ever buy what the fascists in Italy were selling? Like, how, how does this happen? And one of the things that a lot of conservatives were saying is that by suppressing this speech, or by saying that we're not going to allow people to talk about the fact that this, this virus could have potentially been, um, if not modified within a lab in Wuhan, China. We're not going to even allow that conversation to take place because certain institutions within the government, largely Dr. Fauci, have said that, well, that's, that's not a reasonable form of discourse. Or the, the evidence doesn't support that, and so now we're going to suppress it. That's problematic, and what's interesting is you get into the mindset of why were people doing that? Because if you you did think that that was legitimate to question whether or not COVID had been modified or there had been gain-of-function research that had caused the COVID virus to be more dangerous than it otherwise would have been, um, if you you challenged whether or not this was just purely something that happened from bats that then jumped species, or if there was actually scientific research involved in, in manufacturing certain elements of it... If you, if you thought that that was something that should be discussed and then people were suppressing it, your automatic implication or the automatic, uh, um, you know, portion there was not to just say, hey, this is wrong because you're suppressing information that could be useful in combating the virus. We're ma- you're making a dual argument that, no, it's just wrong to suppress this sort of information in general because to some degree it's anti-scientific. And it's certainly not within the best traditions that, that we like to favor in the United States which is this idea that we allow people to go out there and say what they're going to say. And then there's competing uh, opinions and there's debate and there's dialogue. And then individuals are able to make the best decisions for themselves, their family, their society, et cetera. So there, there was a dual argument against that sort of behavior where the government and social media was restricting or suppressing certain speech or certain information because they thought it was harmful. And again, that was the argument that you saw coming out. I was like, wait a second, this, this sort of the government coming in and telling you what to do, and then private sector institutions just immediately jumping on board with that and perpetrating that uh, to the point of suppressing other opinions is harmful in more ways than just COVID. COVID. The important thing to understand about the mentality that I think was being put out by some of these institutions like the CDC or the World Health Organization or the the, um, powers that be within social media institutions is that they thought they were helping society by suppressing some of this information. And what the Fauci emails have revealed is that speculation on what was going on at that lab in Wuhan was not as crazy as Dr. Fauci and other people within the media were making it out to be. Now, it doesn't matter that they might have had the best intentions. Let's just let's give everyone the benefit of the doubt for a moment and say that Fauci genuinely believed that there was no real way. I mean, obviously, in the realm of possibility, sure, anything is possible. But there was no real way that this was manufactured in a lab. Let's say Fauci really, really, truly believed that. And let's say that CNN and MSNBC and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube also genuinely believe that and believe what Fauci was saying. And so, therefore, they actively engaged in this kind of suppression of of speech, considering that angle. This is where we get into the problem of solutions versus tradeoffs. And I know this sounds like I'm kind of veering off in a different direction here. I'm not. This is so fundamental to this entire argument. Hear me out. If you believe that what we are discussing is purely a question of solutions, and if you have put your faith with respect to science in certain respected figures that are well credentialed, certain institutions which you believe have a good reputation, and if you have committed yourself to the idea that whatever they put out is the good information, it is the objective information, and therefore anything that is put out contrary to that is potentially harmful to people, then it is easy to morally justify the suppression of opinions and ideas that you think are going to harm society. And so they look at that, and so if you're looking at it from a purely solutions mindset, of the solution is we have to save people and combat COVID, the institutions that we trust are putting out this information, anything which contradicts that is potentially dangerous, therefore, you are morally justified in shutting down debate in other areas that you no longer think are relevant or you think are harmful. And I think that was the key distinction here. I think most people agree on some level that just because something might be offensive or something might be um, not as well grounded or not have as much data or or not have as many um, well-respected people or institutions backing it is not a reason in and of itself to suppress it. But the moment you make the argument that this is really about public safety and so therefore you have a moral duty to suppress information that you feel is harmful, now all of a sudden it provides you justification to do things that most people, or I hope most people would not normally do. Now, I want you to change the mindset. I want you to put aside for a second this idea that there's some sort of perfect solution, that there's some sort of silver bullet that solves a problem. And instead, I want you to view it through the realm of trade-offs, which is to say that there can be good information, there can be bad information. We all acknowledge that. We all acknowledge that not every crackpot idea that went out there was worthy of the same coverage or the same respect as other ideas that were scientifically founded, or they were rooted in strong evidence, or they were rooted in a good logical argument. Right? We're not saying that those two things are equal. What we are saying is that the trade-off associated with suppressing information that you believe to be bad is far worse in the long run because ultimately what you're doing is putting yourself in a position to decide for everyone else what is good information and what is bad information. And because we know, and and, and if we didn't already know this, COVID should have taught us this, this, that when you are looking at something as complex as COVID, it's not just about confronting a virus. It is about understanding all of the second and third order effects of everything you do to confront that virus. It is about considering unintended consequences. And so when you engage in the wholesale suppression of information that you don't like or the powers that be within government decide that they don't like, The trade-off you are accepting is that there is one way to think about this. That is the way we're going to push. And if you're right, you might be able to come back later and say, see, we saved all these people because we didn't allow these bad opinions or this bad information or bad data to cloud the situation or confuse people. But if you're wrong, and we are now seeing that in, in several instances, We've seen social media platforms reverse their policies about talking about this lab in Wuhan. We've seen them reverse their policies with respect to other scientists, virologists, epidemiologists that were contradicting um, Fauci or the World Health Organization. They're now reversing those policies. Why? Because new data is becoming available to demonstrate that some of the things they were talking about were not as crazy as the powers of the be thought it was. And so the trade-off that they accepted when they were suppressing all that information was they decided they knew what was best, that essentially the science in certain respects was settled. And so that was the only thing that was going to be acceptable on their platforms. Now, keep in mind, I'm not suggesting that the government should come in and force them to give people back their accounts. I'm not suggesting that. You're a private sector company, Do what you want, and you should deal with the consequences within the private sector. Now, you shouldn't get special government privileges that some of these platforms are, right? but I'm not saying that I want the government to take over and and tell them how to run their businesses. What I am saying is that socially, we have an obligation to go back, use this as an example, and remind people that they weren't offering a solution. They were accepting a trade-off that now, as we have additional data, we understand was a bad trade-off. And as you're discussing this with people, I want you to to take it a step back. right? Don't don't go into the rabbit hole of necessarily discussing individual Fauci emails or individual policy decisions. right? Before you even get to that point, when somebody brings this up, you need to ask them. When somebody says, follow the science, you need to ask them, what do you mean by that? Make them define their terms. Make them explain to you what following the science is. Because what we've all realized through this is that, yes, some science was being followed. It was called political science. Political science was being followed. And, And Ben Shapiro has done a good job talking about this, where he talks about you need to understand the incentives behind different people and organizations that are conducting research on something like COVID. If you're an epidemiologist, you bring certain qualifications and expertise to the conversation. If you're a virologist, you bring certain expertise and qualifications to the equation. If you're a public policy expert or an economist or a logistician or or a, a, a public safety expert, all of these people bring different expertise into the conversation. But if you're suppressing things, you're now limiting the scope of that conversation, and so what you need to be asking people when they, when they come forward with these broad, sweeping pronouncements that if only we had done this, or if only we had doubled down here, or if only this bad information hadn't been put, in, put out, everything would have been different. First question, when you talk about following the science, what do you mean? Because if they can't give you an explanation of what the scientific method actually is, if they can't actually express to you that the nature of what scientific discourse is supposed to look like. And this has purely become a conversation of certain individuals or institutions that have been anointed to tell us what the science is. That's not science. It just isn't. There needs to be a healthy degree of skepticism within the scientific process. And what a lot of these these emails that have come out with Fauci have, have shown us is that based off of sometimes based off of the data that they had, combined with their own biases that they brought into the conversation, they were willing to engage in what I think could be determined as misleading information with respect to masks, with respect to lockdown policy, with respect to how the virus was transferred, who it would overwhelmingly affect, what the potential economic downturns were of, of policies. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, why would somebody that we, are, we have all been told is purely dedicated toward objective analysis of data through a, a robust scientific process, why would they all of a sudden be willing to put out information that was, let's not even call it a lie. Let's be as generous as we can. They would put out information that was in, knowingly incomplete, or they would try to dissuade us from considering certain options. Why would they do that? I would argue that there's a couple of different reasons for this. Some of the reasons have to do with either individual incentives or it has to do with politics or tribalism, right? It's a commitment to a certain way of thinking, not simply because of the scientific consequences, but because of the social or economic consequences associated with it. Uh, Ben Shapiro talked about this with respect to institutions have an incentive to protect the institution. And what that means is that if an institution has to go back and admit they were wrong on something, that can be bad for the institution. So it incentivizes them initially to kind of hedge their bets or to potentially suppress information that could call them out for not doing something correctly. And and we see this now where you had prominent individuals that were so concerned about their grant money or so concerned about, you know, a potential conspiracy theory harming their institution, that they were willing to actively engage in suppressing information that could have been useful to the overall discussion. And that's why it is so important to view this in terms of trade-offs. Because you know what? What if they were right? What if they were right that information was going to be put out there and it was going to hurt their particular company, or it was going to hurt their particular government institution, or it was going to hurt the reputation of the World Health Organization, or um, you know, Fauci, when all they were trying to do was the right thing. And and now information was misrepresented by some talking head that didn't know what they were talking about. Do they have a, do they have a right to be concerned about that? Sure. Absolutely. I'm not saying they don't have a right to be as someone that has been the victim of someone putting out false information about me. And then me having to spend all kinds of time and money going back and correcting, correcting the data or correcting the narrative to be able to demonstrate what was actually going on, I understand their hesitancy or their desire to protect their institution because they really believe that they're trying to do the right thing. The problem is the trade-off isn't worth it. And if you are so concerned about the reputation of your institution, then I would argue that you have gone beyond the bounds of science, you have gone beyond the bounds of really trying to get uh, at the problem and address a problem the best way possible. Because it's no longer about problem solving, it's now about you have convinced yourself that you or your institution is what's important. And that's not that's not reality. What's important is the work that you are doing and making sure that you are doing it effectively and within the realm of transparency, within the realm of robust, logical, critical thinking, within the realm of the scientific method. But if you're so afraid of differing viewpoints that you are willing to actively engage in the sort of suppression that we saw, I'm I'm telling you right now, I don't believe the trade-off is worth it. And and that's not to say that in every case you you can't find examples where you say, you know what, if that information hadn't been put out, we would have been better off. Of course that could be true. But what's the alternative? If the alternative is just a a few people in power get to decide for the rest of us, that trade-off is not worth it long-term. You might be able to find short-term gains for something like that, but ultimately what you're gonna end up is with very, very powerful people, institutions, governments, and companies that now believe it is their responsibility to decide for the rest of us. And that is dangerous territory, especially when they believe they are doing it for our own good. Because when somebody is putting out bad information, or somebody is engaging in repression or oppressive policies, but they are convinced it is because they are saving the world, there is almost no limit that they are not willing to go in order to achieve their objective. And that is how you get to a society that accepts things that we all look back on 50 years later, 100 years later, and think to ourselves, how was that possible? And it is a combination of different incentive structures. It's a combination of fear and of people that might have had the best intentions, but because they were so concerned or they were so convinced that they were right, that they were willing to push everybody out of the public dialogue. That's the real scandal that broke with these emails. I mean, yes, there are serious questions that we have to ask about Fauci. There's serious questions that we have to ask about what was really going on in Wuhan. There's serious questions that we have to ask about the way certain um, social media companies behaved. But ultimately, the, the fundamental issue that I see with here that I think is so dangerous is the conditioning of society by people in power to only to be willing to engage in active suppression of other ideas. And that is one of the biggest lessons that we need to learn from this. So as you are engaging those conversations, th- that, again, I'm going to sum this up for you. A couple things. When somebody says, well, I think we just need to follow the science. You need to ask them, what do you mean by that? Right? If you actually want to engage in a, in a productive conversation, don't immediately jump on them and say, you don't even know what you're talking about, or Fauci's a moron. Don't say any of that. Just, what do you mean by follow the science? What does that mean to you? Can you explain it to me? And if their explanation includes people and institutions rather than a process and a series of critical thinking, right off the bat, you know there's an issue. And you need to bring it back down to, well, wait a second. Do you believe that, do you acknowledge that institutions can be wrong? Because we know the World Health Organization was wrong on a lot of issues early on with this. We know that the same institutions that we're all supposed to just blindly follow put out one information about masks at one point and another at another point. We know that some of the politicians, right and left, put out bad information at different points with this. So, It's about getting someone to acknowledge that people and institutions, even with the best intentions, even with the proper credentials and education can be wrong. So is science about following a person? Is science about following an institution? Or is science about a logical, critical thought process, which follows methodology that all of us can understand and is willing to accept different hypotheses and data in order to prove those hypotheses? That's the first part. That's the fundamental question when someone's asking you about the science component of this. When it comes to the suppression of information, there are some conservatives now coming out going, well, we want government investigations of all of these different institutions. We want laws to prevent them from being able to run their companies the way they're currently running them. I'm going to tell you right now, if that's what you want, or if that's the, sort of, if that's the argument you're going to make, you have already lost. Hear me out. You have already lost because what you have accepted is this idea that the government coming in and coercing an organization to work the way that you want them to in the hopes that it will yield the results you prefer. That is the very nature of what is going on right now. And so the argument that we should be making when it comes to the suppression of information is not to have the government come in who historically, government institutions have had The worst track record in all of human history of suppressing information, not because it was wrong, but because it was counter to their narrative. And now those are the people you want to put in charge of regulating Twitter and Facebook and YouTube? It is one thing to say that the government should not be giving them special protections that they don't give to other people that are also competing within that space. That is a fair argument. But it is ridiculous, absurd, and counterproductive to say that the real solution to this is to give politicians more control over how these companies operate. The real solution is not, the gover- is, not, is not legalizing the suppression of information. The real solution is more competition and cooperation within the marketplace. Now, sometimes people will look at me and say, well, Nick, you say that, and then here you are talking on facebook platform on the youtube platform on the twitter platform on apple podcast yeah i am because as long as i'm able to talk i'm going to talk in every single environment possible but am i also going to work with groups like parlor am i also going to work with groups like rumble am i going to work with other alternatives are we going to look at private ways to be able to put it out to where amazon can't shut down our servers absolutely because that's the real solution it's not coming up with ways for the government to suppress or encourage certain types of information It's about actively going out there and competing and participating in as many areas as you possibly can in order to allow for more voices to be heard, give people options, and then let them come to conclusions. And here's all I'll say. If you're more afraid, for those that would say, well, if we had allowed that to happen, then a bunch of bad information would come out and people might have died as a result. I've got news for you. People died as a result of the government information that was put out. People died as a result of the information that the World Health Organization put out. People died as a result of the, the, because in a a global pandemic that is going to happen, you're not always going to get everything right. And I have have some grace for the fact that people are trying to make difficult decisions with limited data in order to save lives. But if your argument is, well, if we would allow this information to go out, that could have cost lives. The counter argument is, or it could have saved some. And and since we don't live in a world where it's just, we have this one perfect solution. We live in a world where there are unintended consequences. We live in a world where there are second and third order effects. Then the real argument we should be making, if we actually believe in a robust debate, if we're actually committed to science, is allowing people to go out there with their theories. And some of them are going to be crackpot theories. And the way you dispel a crackpot theory... Is you act, Yes, you have to spend the time demonstrating why it can't be true or it's not likely to be true. But by simply suppressing it, by shutting it down, you are generating curiosity in it. So I would argue that even if you're the sort of person that, think, that applauds the organizations that were shutting down this information, all you did was generate mistrust and curiosity because you weren't following a scientific method out there. You were using an authoritarian tool in order to shut down debate. So as we go over the Fauci emails, as we consider this, and like I said, I I didn't go into like individual emails on a lot of this because Crowder's done that and Ben Shapiro's done that and, and people on Fox have done that. A ton of people are doing that. I wanted to get to more of the fundamental question here, both from a scientific perspective and also from a freedom of speech perspective. And one thing I want to correct here, if Twitter shuts down your platform, they are not denying you freedom of speech as it's understood in the first amendment. They're not. They do not have an obligation to give you a platform. And you don't want them to have an obligation to give you a platform. So let's dispel that right there. That's not logically consistent or accurate with respect to our interpretation of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is a restriction on government power to restrict your speech. So the first argument, when someone says, follow the science, you need to ask them, what do you mean by that? Please explain that to me. Is science a person, an institution, or is it a process? Because people and institutions may engage in science. They are not science themselves, nor are they the final arbiters on what science is or what the appropriate scientific approach to something or the appropriate conclusion is. That is supposed to be able to be put in the realm of public opinion so people can view it, review it, and determine for themselves what they believe to be true. And I realize that's frustrating for people that think they're smarter than the rest of us. But the alternative is a smart person gets to decide for the rest of us, and when they get it wrong, we all suffer. And that's not a trade-off I'm willing to accept. So that's the science component. On the the freedom of speech component and the, the part that the government played in collaboration with Silicon Valley, with big tech, that should be of significant concern to us because we don't want to work into an environment where now the government... The government essentially tells these big tech companies that if they don't do what they want or they don't suppress certain people, then regulations or taxes or some other form of government punishment might be coming down the pike. And that's where, and and look, as much as I have a problem with big tech, I do understand their concern. They're concerned the government's going to come in and start to regulate them. And so now they're trying to jump ahead of the regulations. And who are they trying to appeal to? Are they trying to appeal to the best possible outcome? No, they're trying to appeal to the people in power. And people in power change. We don't want individual people in power to be making all of those decisions. We want us as individuals to have the power to consume information, to share information, and be able to decide for ourselves what decisions we're going to make based off of the information that we have and what we trust. And does that mean that individuals sometimes will make very bad decisions? Yes. But what's the alternative? The alternative of individuals getting to make decisions for themselves is somebody in power getting to make decisions for everybody. Well, I'm sorry, in most cases, and almost all cases, I don't want that. And that's what we're fighting for. When we talk about this from a freedom of speech component, we need to be very, very careful about the argument that we're using lest we buy in or lest we accept an environment now where freedom of speech is not the sort of freedom of speech that we have all traditionally understood it, which is a prevention of government from coming in and suppressing you. But now freedom of speech is this false component where the government is now coming in and compelling private individuals to do what the current occupants of government power want them to do. That is not going to get you more freedom of speech. So what we should be advocating for is we should be saying, look, we, want, we are going to reward those institutions which don't suppress information, which don't hide things from us, or at the very least is honest about what they're doing instead of pretending that when they suppress information, it's only for good intentions and based off of objective data. But when somebody else does it, well, that's bias. If we can accept the fact that everybody has some bias that they take into a conversation, and then we can provide an environment where multiple people can come together and have conversations and discuss and debate, and then accept the fact that individuals have a right to make their own decisions for themselves and their families based off of the information that they have available to them, with the understanding that there is no perfect solution, there is only trade-offs, my hope is is that we will accept the trade-off which encourages greater individual liberty, more freedom of speech, more competition within the marketplace, combined with personal responsibility. All right, I hope this has been helpful for you. Um, You know, again, I, I know these conversations are gonna continue, but again, when we talk about following the science, you know, let's follow a good scientific method. Let's follow a logical process. Let's not follow political science and pretend that that's going to get us the sort of results that we actually want. Um, also, if you want more information on this where I go a little bit more into the scientific method and, and some of the dangers with respect to the government being kind of the sole arbiter of what science is, I got another podcast that I did earlier in the year where I asked the question, is the left, is the left following science or is science following the left? And this really talks about a a very important question with respect to government funding of science um, and, and how do we keep science as objective as possible and really getting down to that conclusion that the only way to do it is to have a robust debate, not be constantly benefiting one particular group over another group through the force of government power and coercion. So go ahead and check that out. Is the left following science or is science following the left? Um, Once again, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. It helps us get the message out there. And we'll see you next episode.